0: Nights from 6
1: on 2FM.
0: Yes, a big thank you to Emma Power for keeping us entertained on this Wednesday afternoon. We're over the hump of the week. It is Wednesday, January 18th. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and seven bells, Nadine Doherty is in studio to preview the ladies' national football leagues that throw in this weekend and we'll hear from dub Carla Rowe. David Snade of the 42.e will be chatting FA Cup, United takeover bids and League of Ireland transfers. Our tennis expert, Stephen Higgins from crosscourtview.com will have the latest on the Australian Open with a couple of high profile departures already and if that wasn't enough we'll also hear from journalist Michael McMullen on the match fixing scandal that has rocked snooker as always feel free to get in touch text us on 51552 or tweet us at Game On 2FM Game On on 2FM, 2FM. Yes, hello there. Good evening. It's great to have your company on this Wednesday evening, wherever in the world you are tuning in from. A couple of news headlines to get through, but first, Nadine Doherty. How are you? It's been a
2: while. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm great. Uh, Looking forward to the season ahead. Uh, Old Trafford is back on the rise, and we have a World Cup to look forward to in the summer. So exactly,
0: yeah. so it hasn't wasn't a bad twenty twenty two sport, and it's not it's going to be pretty decent twenty twenty three as well. Um, very much looking forward to all of that, um, and very much looking forward to the leagues kicking off this weekend. Uh, Nadine, you're going to be sticking around, and we're going to be chatting uh, ladies' national league uh, a little bit later on. And as I mentioned, Carla Rowe will be joining us as well but first uh, news headlines there was a dramatic end to Ireland's ODI in Zimbabwe today a four off the final ball gave Zimbabwe a three wicket win on the DLS method in a thrilling opening one day international against Ireland chasing down the visitors 288 for four the hosts went into the final over needing 13 runs to win before that victory clinching boundary rain delayed the match with 18 overs of Zimbabwe's innings remaining Ireland captain Andrew Balbirnie hit 121 runs before retiring injured uh, today's encounter was the first match of a three-game ODI series in Zimbabwe with the sides meeting again on Saturday. So hopefully Ireland can turn that around. Just sticking with cricket very briefly, hashing Amlin, South Africa's second highest test run score of all time, has retired at the age of uh, 39. Um, Back to more domestic matters. Leinster hooker Gus McCarty will captain Richie Murphy's Ireland under-20 squad in the upcoming Six Nations campaign. Murphy has named a 32-man Ireland squad which includes seven players who were involved in last year's tournament and under-20 summer series. Ireland opened their campaign against Wales in Cowland Bay on Friday, February 3rd. And finally, tomorrow's scheduled fixture at Ferry House has been cancelled and rearranged for next Wednesday, January 25th. The track was deemed to be frozen apart during afternoon inspection and with little chance of a temperature change, an early decision was made uh, by officials. Unfortunately, little chance of a temperature change. But however, um, in snooker, 10 players charged in snooker match fixing storm. And a little bit earlier on, uh, I caught up with Michael McMullen because this is a story that is uh, certainly um, going to develop over the coming months.
1: Game on on 2FM. 2FM.
0: Now, the World Professional Billiards and Snooker Association has concluded its investigation into alleged match-fixing in the sport with a total of 10 players facing independent disciplinary tribunals. Uh, All 10 players were suspended by the WPBSA in the last number of months while the investigation was carried out. Now, Michael McMullen joins us now, a sports journalist and snooker commentator, to update us, really, on on the latest going on here. Michael, was this the expected outcome from this investigation
3: I think Shane the WPBSA under the guidance of Jason Ferguson in recent years have been very very strong on these matters and they don't really proceed to any degree at all unless they're a long way down the road with their investigation and they feel there's pretty strong grounds to take things forward so as all these players over the last few months were gradually suspended from the tour while the investigation was going on I think the likelihood was that charges would follow. Now, we do have to stress, of course, and it's always important to be careful in these matters, these are just charges at the moment. Nobody's been found guilty of anything. But the sheer volume of players involved and the number of charges that have been laid against them is obviously very, very sad for the sport. And the fact also that so many of them are young players, and they're all from China, which has been the huge growth part of the world for snooker over the last 15 to 20 years it's a very very sad day for snooker but at the same time it's very very encouraging to see that the wpbsa under jason's guidance as they say are being so thorough in dealing with this they've been very swift in taking matters to this stage where we now have the investigation concluded and we're moving to charges and as you say an independent tribunal and i know that they will be very very keen to get this resolved as swiftly as possible while also of course making sure to do things properly
0: a host of young names, but some big names, some some trophy winners mm-hmm. there as well. And and you mentioned they're all from, from China. So I suppose a, a double-ended question of how damaging is this for the sport going forward and how damaging is it for the growth of the sport that you mentioned was, was going so well in China in particular?
3: I think how damaging, Shane, depends on what the outcome of it all is. Because WPBSA are always extremely thorough when... They have cases like this. They give great detail on what matches are involved, what exactly has been found, and what the sanctions are. So we have to wait and see what happens there. Of course, what everyone in snooker is hoping is that everyone gets cleared, and that it turns out everyone has got an explanation for things that have gone on. But as I say, they don't tend to proceed with these things unless there's a great weight of evidence. Now, what I would say is that there have been some suggestions, and have been at a number of events over the last few weeks, including the Masters last week, that Perhaps some of these players are going to claim, and they may have some grounds to claim that they have been forced into doing things they didn't want to do, that threats have been made against them. And while I want to think those players would still be suspended if they could prove that was the case, it obviously wouldn't be anywhere near as bad for the game and as damaging for the game. In terms of China, moving on from here, the game is just so big there. I mean, it's been said for about 10 or 15 years now that there are more active snooker players in China and then the whole rest of the world combined. And that isn't going to change. Obviously, it comes at a very bad time when World Snooker are trying to get events back on in China as they start to lift the COVID restrictions. But I don't actually see any reason why, no matter what the findings are, those events can't return over the next couple of years because people in China still want to do business with the game. And you mentioned there, Shane, some young players, but also some trophy winners. But you've got a couple of players who fall into both categories. Very sad to see Yan Bing Tao, who's one of two players who's been charged here with fixing matches, plural. He was Masters champion only two years ago. And then you look at Chauzin Tong, he's been charged not with match fixing, but being concerned in fixing matches. We'd like to see exactly what that means. And also the lesser charge of betting on snooker. This time last year, he was the toast of the snooker world. It's been said for some time that he was perhaps the most talented of all the players who followed on in the wake of Ding Junhui who was the real trailblazer just over a year ago he really started to deliver on that by winning the UK championship then he won the German Masters well that event is going to be going on in Berlin in a couple of weeks time now without him in the field to defend his title
0: i'm sure this will be a long drawn out Process. You mentioned how thorough they are with the investigations and, and rightly so and understandably so. I know you're, you're heavily involved in the sport, you have a genuine gras for snooker. Is there a fear within snooker circles now that this is more widespread than we know at present and might we see, unfortunately and sadly and worryingly, more investigations?
3: I think it's more widespread than we thought it was a couple of months ago because, you know, we've got 10 players, as we've been discussing, suspended from the tour. So, yeah, on that basis, you're right from that point of view. As for whether or not there's going to be any more to follow on, I think once they started digging with this, they kept on digging. And you would hope that that would mean anything that's there to be found has been found. But, again, we have to stress, it is a great thing that the association are so thorough about this now. There's no attempt to sweep anything under the carpet, There's no attempt to play things down, as I think perhaps with previous administrations in the game there may have been. You can never say what more is going to be found. It just seems staggering that players would still get involved in this because there have been a number of cases in recent years, Shane, and they have been dealt with very, very strongly. Stephen Lee, the most notorious case, as I mentioned when I was on here a few weeks ago, uh, was banned for 12 years. Now, anyone who's found to have been involved in actual fixing of matches they were involved in Well, they're going to be looking at 8, 10, possibly 12 years, depending on the extent of it. When you get to the offences lower down the scale, shall we say, being involved in being concerned in fixing matches, approaching players to fixing matches, well, then you're looking at maybe three-, four-year bans. The lesser offences of betting on snooker, well, then that might only be a matter of months. But of these ten, six are actually charged with the fixing of at least one match, and in some cases, matches plural. So it's going to be, as you say, potentially a long, drawn-out process, but I think we've already had several months of that. So we may move quite swiftly from here to the independent tribunal and then the findings coming out. But for some of these players, their entire career on the line, because if you get a lengthy ban, well, you don't just get back. You don't then get back onto the tour when that ban ends. You've got to play your way back onto the tour. And for some of these guys, it may very well be the end of what were in many, perhaps most of these cases, very promising careers
0: Absolutely Well it will be very interesting to see how this one pans out Michael McMullen I'm sure will be chatting in due course as this uh, investigation um, continues Thank you very much uh, for taking the call Uh, The full story is on the Orti Sport website including uh, all of the names of uh, the players involved and those players will remain suspended from attending and competing on the World Snooker Tour until the hearings are carried out
1: Game On on 2FM. 2FM
0: certainly will be interesting to see what comes of that. Um, in less controversial circumstances, we can chat soccer with David Snade of the 42.ie. David, how are you, sir? I'm very well, Shane. Good evening. How are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. Pleasure to uh, chat to you. Uh, let's get straight into it. FA Cup action, what was your highlight from last night's football coverage on BBC, David? <laughs>
4: That's a bit of a leading question. <laughs> I don't know, the, I don't the,
0: know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know.
4: Uh, it's, as far fairness, even some of the social media clips that were are doing around about the pranks right, who was doing it and, and how it was done. Yeah. I don't know, I'd say there's, i set said there's some people in your own organisation now kind of uh, worried about what some of the uh, Irish comedians would be, would be getting up to.
0: <laughs> we, um, we, I, we had to have a metal detector out that Nadine Doherty in studio didn't have any phone with her. And I'm delighted you were just on the phone <laughs> so there'd be no, no uh, repeat. Well,
4: but well, not that, I, not that I would ever um, condone such um, <laughs> actions or even ever attempt to do something similar, but I'll bear that in mind the next time I'm out in just to uh, be on the safe
0: side, you know. <laughs> um, from the footballing side of things, then, uh, as I was reading last night, the lights went out at New inside the opening minute, but Liverpool stoked the embers of a fading season to keep their FA Cup defensive lie alive. Harvey Elliott fired Liverpool into the FA Cup fourth round as the holders held on for a one 0 win at Wolves. The 19 year old's fourth goal of the season, squeezing Jurgen Klopp's men past their hosts. How encouraged, or will they be at all with that performance? Obviously, they'd be delighted to get through in the cup, but considering their slight. Bubble. Would Would uh, you take much encouragement from the the ninety minute performance?
4: Well, it's the fourth win of the year, isn't it? It's the fourth win in January in twenty twenty three. It's crazy to think it's come. It's come so late, given it's their fourth fourth game in a month. But they just need the confidence. That's what they, they, they Just need to get back around that club. It's just confidence and, and and winning games and pretty much back to just into the run-up. I mean, if you think back to what those European club teams, the great European club teams, over the last couple of years and few years that have been they've just been relentless, you know, they steamrolled teams they turned up and fans have pretty walked up to Anfield and not even had to talk about who they're even playing, you just know that once Liverpool were on it, that they were gonna more than likely win the win the match. And that just hasn't been the case this season. And like the last the last few months you kinda of get the feeling like if you look back to when you can clock kinda of signed that contract extension with Liverpool back in April of last year, that was at a point when people were talking about this is a Liverpool team who could potentially do the quadruple they were going as usual neck and neck with Man City for the title going great guns in the Champions League going great guns obviously in the, in the two cups which eventually obviously went on and, and were successful in and you were thinking this is a, this is a Liverpool a Liverpool cl- the club a Liverpool team and a manager and everything about it that was only going in one direction and then since then you've obviously had Mo Salah sign that new contract as well I think it was in the July of last year so a long-term contract, kind of the club go out in the lane and smash their kind of their wage structure, really to mm. keep him at the club because they realised he was our he was our talisman. And then just a couple of the signings that have come in, maybe some of the players, the experienced players, were they just off that level a little bit, and that's all it's taken. And this this season it's just been a, an extremely difficult one for for Klopp and the and the club. And now the fact that Liverpool are up for sale, that just adds another element of confusion around the whole thing because like these are seasons that any top team, any top club over the last while have to negotiate really and get through because it's it's not uncommon. This happens, you know, you're you can be at the top for so long and have the and, and have the standards you set you set. But then when you do have to manage that transition and manage that change, you're going to have those little bumps in the road. And this is a pretty big bump, but it shouldn't be a case of people questioning what Jurgen Klopp is capable of, you know. And then something like this with the Cup, just again, t- keep and t- take, take and over with silverware and keep and, and over with, in that regard. It's just going to be so important because that's what this Liverpool, this is what he's great again with a group of the of generation now Liverpool fans who just expect to be challenging for silverware, and he is well, without doubt you would imagine the man who is the capable of doing it. But the fact is, with up for sale, you never know what's going to happen with new owners. just going to be you've seen what's happened with Chelsea, even recently. Will obviously, so you never know what can, what could be coming down coming down the track. But it just seems to be a period of, of serious flux they're going through. But one that so many top clubs have to just negotiate because any top club who's, who's been there and, and set standards they've had to do that they've had to come through these little periods and show that they can actually get back to the level that they've
0: been at Yeah I don't think anyone's questioning Jurgen Klopp's credentials but as you mentioned there that's a very very valid point in terms of new ownership and what may happen to uh, the structures at the club um, from an Irish point of view uh, Joe Hodge Nathan Collins continuing yeah. to, to grow at Wolves which is very encouraging to see
4: Yeah no I think it wasn't George was, he got hooked at half time but
0: a Bro- broader picture before you shoot broader me. Down. No, I, I,
4: I just you know that shows my mate. not not the pessimists, but no, because and this is the interesting thing is because even with Joe Hodge obviously like Wolves went away to during the World Cup. I'm almost certain it was to Marbella, but they went away for a warm weather training camp. Obviously, um, Julian Lopetegui when he took over beforehand, he just to get to work with the players and just from speaking to people thank you for uh, getting the information from him, just uh, caused made such a positive impression around um, Wilt Lopategui in terms of just his attitude, his mentality in training, and just taking on the information, you know, and obviously clearly he's a very talented footballer. Like, he was obviously part of that, the Man City Academy as well and, and came through there. So, like, he, he just thought he will get a new contract and obviously was, looked like it could possibly, maybe, be bringing forward a couple of signings they were going to be planning for the summer this time around in January, we just to get them in a little bit early. Whether or not that that affects his playing time, because obviously he had he started that game against Everton, which they won away. Was a two one score there uh, in the last minute of, of injury time, and he had just started in that game. And he's definitely someone who is in. You would say from speaking to people at the club, and as well that he's in Lopetegui's plans because he just made such a positive impression. And Nathan Collins, he's just. I don't think I think any manager who walks with him just says the same thing. Like it was either it was I remember speaking to Bruno Lage before he actually lost his job, with, with Wolves at the start of his season, um, just on on Nathan Collins, and he was saying within a week he was like seven, six, he'd walk with with him for four or five years or have been around the club for so long because he obviously has those leadership qualities and has that that calmness about him and as, as a guy as well. So they're going great guns and they're going to have they Man City on uh, on Sunday. Um, actually going to be going over to that game for for a walk as well to see how uh, Nathan Collins gets on against Ireland and it would also be fantastic to see Joe Hodge maybe come on as well and get a taste of it
0: too Absolutely We've talked about this time and and time again but now there are rumours that Cuevin Keller has been linked to Leicester or Spurs I think Liverpool are putting a a reported valuation of around £30 on Keller Is it time for him to go now Like, if he wants to really progress
4: but so let's say, after the weekend, I, I imagine that there's a list of goalkeepers who have been linked with scores after what uh, you've got released <laughs> <in> at the <laughs> at, at the weekend. Um, and Leicester, again, they're, they're struggling, aren't they? Like, big time in terms of this season, obviously, again, Brendan Rodgers trying to get players in the door, and he pretty much stuck with his second-choice goalkeeper there. He hasn't been able to bring someone in. Like, with Kelleher, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one, you know, because like you're you from, from looking at you looking at this from, from the outside and you want to try and get a sense of what's happening behind the scenes, the intricacies of well actually what's you being told by you say you clock what's the club's plan for him Like Allison you would imagine he seems fairly settled in Liverpool, he seems as if that's where he's gonna be for for the next little while, but you just never know. And these are the things in the background that are all part of the mechanics of what this, has to play into the decision. And for someone like for someone like Queen Callar now is twenty four years of age course, you would be. Thinking, you know, he has to be playing games. Like, mm. You have extremely talented goalkeeper. Clubs already said he's the best number two in the world. But then, that's probably a compliment if you're at maybe the back end of your career, or you're even younger and you're you're happy to maybe like maybe Connor was a few years ago, get that experience and be in, in that environment. And he's probably been he's been in that forcing environment Liverpool now for 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 the number of years and has that day to day experience of working with, with such talented players. Now we have to play games. That's clear. He kind of touched on it himself after I think it was around the week of the, of the Carabao Cup game with, with Man City where he kind of, kind of able to it where it is going to be a topic that has to be broached more so in the summer so i would be surprised he'd be, be extremely surprised if, if he goes anywhere in this transfer window but again if the club is willing to take a chance and it is a chance because there's still that question mark about him because he hasn't played consistently he's popped in and out and has made positive impression but Will a team in January, Like, let's say for instance Spurs, you would imagine they're going to be wanting to get a goalkeeper ready made who they can trust to come in straight away if they want to get rid of him. Norie certainly feels this, maybe his time has passed because the last team they needed to take it under risk on a goalkeeper. Every obviously signing has its risk, but there you would imagine they're going to go for someone more established. And that's now what Kadar has to do. He has to establish himself as a top class player who's capable of having a, a long career, which the little glimpses we've seen, it seems clear that he is, but it's just now like what Gavin Bizzuno was going through a bit of a sticky patch, and he seems to be coming through it because of that, like the mentality that he seems to have of, of what all top goalkeepers need to come through and those questions are being asked. Gavin Bizzuno is a few years younger, mm. but it just goes to show that getting getting that other side of the game and, and dealing with that day in, day out pressure and having that on you is such it's like not that it's make or break but it's going to be such a big thing for them, and you would see it rather than later it
0: has to happen absolutely to paraphrase nobody wants to be a Gary Neville nobody wants to be a Steve Harper nobody wants to be a, a second choice keeper all, all their lives um, good uh, goalkeeping news as well in the Birmingham City and good Irish news as well Kevin Long scored the winner against Forest Green Rovers and if anyone hasn't seen this Neil Etheridge look it up on social media an unbelievable double save right at the end uh, to deny um, Forest Green uh, an equaliser laid on there unbelievable save and Mark Sykes third goal in two games put Bristol City ahead in their 2-1 extra time victory over Swansea City some Irish interest this evening Leeds Cardiff FA Cup replay Callum O'Dowd Callum Robinson could feature and Mark McGuinness is back at Cardiff as well over there oh um, after a lone spell away from the club uh, I want to chat Manchester United David because I know this is a club that you are fond of and you've you've written about uh, in extensively in the past and you have a very good article up in the 42.8 at the moment um stating really the the revolution for for want of a better word kind of at, at the club as well but you know you mentioned about Liverpool Possibly be well, will be going under new ownerships as will Manchester United. Is Jim Ratcliffe the man to continue this revolution at Manchester United?
4: Well, Jim, Clas- Jim Ratcliffe is well, he's a man who obviously grew up just outside Manchester, and he's a man who professes to be a boyhood Manchester United fan here, were also, should be stressed, did make a late attempt to boy Chelsea. Um. When obviously, when they were, when they, obviously, when they, that, that sale was forced pretty much to go through, obviously, with the whole Roman Robert, Robert Ramage, Ramage situation. Yeah. See, this is an interesting one on the dynamic on this because you wonder why obviously, so the Rain Group, which is the uh, kind of the merchant bank in America, which is basically the Glazer family have employed essentially to sell the club because they want a the quick sale. They would have obviously seen how Rain, that Rain Group, carried out the sale of Chelsea and basically how he set up. The bidding process for it, and it was like getting the the deal that they got for Chelsea in terms of like how much it went for. I think it was a total deal worth in excess of four billion in terms of money up front that Bowie and his group ended up paying, plus um, commitments that they've had to actually invest in the club, which has been very very evident since uh, for the last few months. So you kind of wonder well, what's that relationship between, say, Ineos and Jim Radcliffe and the Rain Group and what's, what's the dynamic there because there was that sense that maybe he was testing the water a little bit at Chelsea to see when he did make such a late bid because it came after it, the Rain Group had set a deadline when there was a number of um to get the preferred bidder for, for Chelsea. Now that seems to be a case that he seems to be a lot more upfront. He's already spoken in the past about about the about the Glazer family and about United and how he would be interested. This was obviously before the the Glazers essentially said the club they haven't come out effectively and said it in black and white that it's up for sale they, they talk about exploring new options and, and the investment and all but sure no one's going to come in and, and dig them out of the hole that's there in terms of the debt that's on the club without having a, a sizable a say and a sizable control they're not going to give that up just to just just for the clout of saying that they're revolving Manchester United so it does seem as if the rain group want to get and the have kind of want to get it in the first quarter this year that investment gain and so far it does seem as if very publicly in us now which obviously is Jim Raptor's company who have say is in in Nice in uh, Ligue 1 in France and if you have a say in uh, Lausanne in the Swiss League as well it does seem as if now maybe he'll it, be testing the water e- even more and it might draw out our bidders has been obviously talked the Saudi Arabian public investment fund they're still looking there's Qatari investment Funds, who obviously again this week kind of were coming out about what could be happening with Liverpool and those links. So it's fairly interesting, it's almost like an arms race essentially, like clubs, like with Liverpool, you've got two biggest clubs in the air, two biggest clubs in England, Liverpool and Manchester United both available. And it kind of would be interesting to see the dynamic of how that of how that plays out over the next little while because it definitely does seem as if some of the, the big players who could be involved are going to be starting to, to make their move and testing the water with it
0: very much so unbelievable um, I suppose a seismic shift change really at Manchester United of late they play Palace tonight Arsenal away on Sunday as well two wins the next five days would leave United three off the top and in the mix with City not to mention Newcastle as well uh, I do just want to finish up David with League of Ireland uh, Barry Cotter was supposedly signed the League of Ireland that is not the case he's off to Barnsley uh, mm. Justin Ferragi is reportedly training with Spurs but uh Jake Mulroney, 26 years of age, 60 appearances uh, during uh, three years in the MLS with Atlanta United and then Orlando, has signed a long-term contract with St. Pat's. I think I, I think the, uh,
4: the phrase that you have to use in the of 1 or in the you think. Names, old souls when got together in their workshop, is
0: a multi-year deal. Mo- sorry, yeah, you know, yeah. you
4: know what I mean. <laughs> it's like just the latest
0: the latest flat. The latest fad. Um, is, is that? That's not just that's just a hashtag. That's taken over from greatest league in the greatest league
4: in the world now. <laughs> I know, I know. So, um, but yeah, no, it's an interesting one. I think obviously the former Ireland number twenty-one international would have been a not nothing for us as a as a kid as well. and He's had a bit of a nomadic career, like so many. He's just trying to forge that career and, 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 and get a, get different clubs and just trying to stay in the game. And he's, a, that, he's now at St. Pat's. He, he would have linked up, he would have been at Hearts when John Daly, who was the assistant manager um, with Pats, obviously, to uh, Tim you he would have opened him at heart so he'd known him as a winner. So it's Pats nearby, in the door, you know, he needs to kind of. It's one of the points. On the back of last season, when Tim Clancy got the job, it was coming after. Obviously, Steve Furlano had left the club, and there was a bit of upheaval and trying to get players in. Now, it's the case of and of, um, of Tim Clancy and Pat putting their stamp on the on the club, and obviously Mulroney could come in, it's going to be it's going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting because he has got a bit of, a bit of caliber of him. See how he how he does it. That's the league and being back home in, in Dublin too. And I suppose if you look at it, though, I would say perhaps Pat Pat's fans that be big plus for them. They're obviously, probably thinking. You mentioned there but he caught Car going, but the fact that he was—he kind of injected a bit of a spark and a bit of a—he is a low like in terms of on that on that right side. He's where then where he kind of never know what he's capable of, you know. The sublime, the ridiculous, and the way he gets pumped forward on that side. But I think Barons, he would have obviously seen make the makers of a player there because they don't obviously previously been all right England with Ipswich too, and I just think. It's a, I think that would be a big loss for Pat just that side as well because he just gave so much dynamism on that side and was able to be such an outlet and then obviously Sean McGraw was able to, to get a few bob for him from, from Barnsley and possibly uh, sell on too and wouldn't be surprised if that is activated if he's able to continue on the trajectory he seems to be at with Pat, you know.
0: Very much so um, David that is where we have to leave it unfortunately but I do want to finish with this sentence speaking of greatest league in the world Cork City are considering making a move for Quentin Seidoff nephew of legendary Netherlands player Clarence Seidoff that is why we love the league David that is why we love, love, love the league <laughs> uh, your gentleman David will be chatting uh, no doubt uh, again very soon uh, on football but Gaelic football's up next with Dean Doherty and Carla Rowe Game on Gaelic football Now, Holders Mead will begin their defence of the Ladies' National Football League Division 1 crown with a glamour clash against Leinster rivals Dublin on the opening weekend of the 2023 campaign, which is this weekend. Also in Division 1, Galway will host Donegal, Cork make the trip to Mayo and Waterford, will entertain Kerry, of course the 2022 National League Division 2 champions and All-Ireland finalists. Nadine Doherty is still in studio with me to preview uh, the leagues and... Dublin's Carla Rowe is also on the line Carla, how's things? Hi, all good how are you? I'm oh, very well very well um, I suppose let's get stuck in with, with chatting Dublin then I suppose uh, considering you're, you're on the line Carla uh, how much are you looking forward to the the upcoming league the upcoming campaign this year and what are the uh, the goals for yourself and the Dubs?
1: Yeah, we're, we're hugely excited to be starting um, the league on Saturday against um, our two year rivals now I suppose you could say against Mead and um, you know we've had great battles with Mead over the last the last two years, and, and every game has brought huge crowds and great atmosphere. So uh, looking forward to that, and any day to kind of get a cut at the, the All Ireland champions is always a good day.
0: How do you see Mead twenty twenty three compared to to what they have been over the last couple of years?
1: Um, well, look, like ourselves, when we were building after two years, you've got great confidence. Um, I suppose you probably have young new players coming into the panel who are just excited to get involved in a successful team. So um, I'm sure they're going to go from strength to strength, and it's just our job and all the other counties' jobs across the country to, to try and take that away from them. And um, as we experienced, it can be done quite um, quite easily and quite quickly. So uh hopefully we'll be the the ones to try and to try and grab that back off them this year
2: uh hey carlin the dean here just uh i suppose to touch on Lindsay Davy. you would have battled with her for many many years and she will be sorely missed um you know, I suppose she has to be replaced. And is there anybody, uh, you know, that, that you see perhaps who's really been showing that consistency over the last number of years and are ready to, to fill in and, and, you know, fill in in those boots?
1: Yeah. Um, hi, Nadine. Uh, Lindsay, I, look, there's, I think there's a number of players across, especially like Lindsay. I think she's been playing since she's 15. Um, and to be honest, you'll you'll never really replace them. You're just hoping to to lessen the gap that they've they've left as they as they finish and sometimes that can be football wise but Lindsay was a bit of them football and experience that um, I suppose there's a there's a bigger gap left from her. But um I had a few interviews today with the, the league launch and you have to kinda of let those players and you have to let them go on at some time. Um, you know, you, every year you ask them to come back and give it another year and at some point you kinda of have to let them go. But look, we do have, we have other girls who now it's our time to step up and be the more senior and the more experienced players. And it's funny, um, I'm probably in that, in that area myself now and you kind of sneaks up on you. And all of a sudden you realise, oh, actually, I'm one of the more senior players in the panel, <laughs> which I don't know if I want to be classed as old, um, but I'll stick with experienced
2: yeah, definitely. I think, Carla, <laughs> now, don't be putting yourself in that category just yet. Experience,
0: for <laughs> no. sure, but not old. Uh, it feels it sometimes. <laughs> so, Lindsay's departed. One person that was rumoured to be departing was Mick Bone. Uh, how close of a thing was that from from the playing group? Was that close to happening or was that mere just media speculation, Carla?
1: Um, well, look, we never heard any conf- confirmation of that. Um, we we kind of after the Vinnie Gall game, we all kind of went our own ways. To I suppose everyone needs a bit of space at those times, um, and there was nothing said about Mick and leaving. And uh, Mick, the type of man that he is, <clears throat> in 2021 when we lost to, to me, that was the night of the All Ireland when we lost. That uh, he said he'd be joining and sticking with us um, the, the following year in 2022. So. It, it wasn't something that was. It must have been just a media rumor because it definitely wasn't something that was ever spoke about for the team and myself and Neve Collins as captain. The year there was no mention of it either. So, um, you know these things, rumors pick up when, when I suppose you lose and especially losing two years in a row. Um, but we're delighted to have Mick back on board this year. You know he's. Unquestionably one of the most successful ladies football managers, and and probably um, very experienced in the men's game as well. So he brings he brings a lot of positives, and um, he surrounded himself with good people the last couple of years, and he's freshened that up this year. So it's brought a brand new freshness to the group, which is fantastic.
0: Well, speaking of media rumours or perhaps social media rumours, you're sticking with the uh, the Dubs. You're not going to Manchester United, <laughs> and I, I will put a bit of context into this uh, for for those who may have missed it. So basically. Yeah. Manchester United's official Instagram uh, posted a, a picture of their new signing, Vae uh, <laughs> Korscht, uh, alongside yourself. What's the story there?
1: Yeah, like if if someone wants to get in touch at Man United and see if they'd offer me a contract, like, <laughs> I'm not. I wouldn't say no. I don't know. I think those pay packages are very, very uh, appealing. <laughs> but um, no, um, as I said, in the the media have loved this today. Um, as I said, um, I was actually at the, the Derby game, City and United, great game, United won, um, and we did the tour on Sunday, and when we were doing the tour, we just so happened to be down at the pitch side at that time, and much like Crow Park, the grass was precious, you know, they'd put a foot near it, and um, some of the people on our tour started shouting out that that was the, the new signing, and it was horse that was there. So he came over, he was getting pictures with, a few of the kids that were on our tour but sure I jumped in there and <laughs> it just so happened to get caught by the, the Manchester United
2: Instagram page Well he he should have been asking for a photograph of in fairness because you have certainly more medals than that fella uh, <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know because
1: um, I was on or leaving school to go home and my Twitter went off and it was a, a man I don't know the man on Twitter and he just said is this or Dublin's Carla Rowe pictured with Man United beg horse or what's going on here and one of the girls sent me a message on um, Instagram saying is this you or am I going insane
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well so, <I>
1: <laughs> a bit of confirming to do <laughs>
0: okay well Mick Bone's staying with the dubs and Carla Rowe is staying with the dubs so good news for of <laughs> 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 Footballers listen yeah. Carla Rowe very best of luck this weekend and indeed with the, with the year ahead thanks very much uh, for taking the call Um sticking with the dubs then I suppose indeed. what do you envisage their chances are being for the league because I do want to get your thoughts and opinions on some of the uh, the big names in Division 1
2: yeah and listen Dublin are <clears throat> one of the biggest names up there um, as Carla said Mick is a very clever coach he's a mm. wonderful coach and I'm glad he's saying because for me he's part of like the LGFA now uh, he's freshened it up obviously in the coaching scene uh, you know look in terms of who they've lost and Lindsay being a massive you know a massive figure but as Carla's alluded to the wheels keep turning and the thing goes on but I just feel maybe in the last few years you know you've lost Noel Healy you've lost Neve McAvoy you've lost McGrath and you know now you have Lindsay and then you look at you know Sinead Ahern Hmm. Carla herself has carried a few injuries Neve Collins you know these Huge players for Dublin aren't playing week in, week out, and the jury's still out for me as to whether or not Dublin have been able to not replace them but find players who are at that standard, um, performing consistently week in, week out. Look, they're gonna be there thereabouts, absolutely, and you know, nobody's writing Dublin off. But I do think that perhaps the few years experience that those players have had, uh, it might bring them to that level. But if it hasn't, and I feel we'll find out by the end of the league if they have it, they haven't, I think, you know, not that they'll struggle in the championship, but, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise again if they're pinned to their collar by Donegal or, or Meath or whoever it is. But listen, they're going to be there. You mm. know, and if Sinead Goldrick is home for the league, for the championship and stays fit, sure, she's still a massive player. So, yeah, not writing them off by... Any means whatsoever. No, Looking uh, forward to seeing them. You know, I love watching Dublin play. Yeah. I really do.
0: Uh, I don't think anyone's writing, their, writing them off. They're out uh, this weekend against Mead, who of course have a new management. So there is changes at Mead um, on, on a grander scale as well. Will it be a, a seamless transition?
2: Uh, I don't know you know that's the truth uh, Eamon Murray we miss Eamon for the brilliant interviews and listen what a master of management in fairness to him he was brilliant at delegating the leadership he had the right people doing the right things uh, Paul Garrigan and Eugene Ivers you know their influence it can't be underplayed and what they brought to that setup. Davy Nelson is coming in we don't know anything about him but I think a huge a huge factor will be the players themselves you know how they respond to him I can't see him trying to change that system because why would you mm. you just try and improve it um, I don't think any change is seamless you know no matter what it always takes a little bit of time but you know those players they're so talented they have such a high level of you know standards and they're so programmed to that system and I suppose it's very, very hard to see them drop off in, in any shape. The only factor might be, you know, we were talking off air about players who <clears throat> are travelling, you know, Emma Troy's away. They have a few injuries. But Vicky Wall's statement that she's coming home for the league is massive. It's yeah. huge. And I think that says it all. You know, Absolutely. They're, they're looking to be back.
0: From a, a mid point of view, hopefully there's no truth in Rory O'Connor's story in the Irish Independent today that the IRFU are sniffing around Vicky Wall and potentially trying to get her uh, to change codes to rugby. So So that is, I suppose, a a developing story and be interested to see where where, where that one
2: goes. Yeah, and you know, it's not a surprise, Shane. I mean, what an athlete. And you just look at her and you think, no matter what sport she would probably turn her hand to, she'd be incredible. She's just such an athlete. And in terms of rugby, you know, it's not the first time. You look at some of the best rugby internationals ever the likes of North Stapleton Neve Briggs Ali Miller they all started playing GA. so you know the skills are transferable and then in recent years you have Lily Pete you have Hannah Turrell Hannah Turrell mm. uh, who came back to GA, which was wonderful you know you have Stacey Flood Emer you have all these players who've gone back and forth and listen as I said about Vicky she's amazing but I think a lot will depend on how Meath go perhaps in the next few years that coupled with her AFL career I mean mm. that could take off further And then you have how the IRFU, I suppose, deliver on their promises to women's rugby. Um, and look, it's very obvious her priority is me at present, but if she has had meetings with the IRFU, if we are to believe what we were reading, um, you never know down the line. Imagine Vicky Wall on the wing. Oh,
0: wow. stop, stop. Unbelievable. Uh, your own county, Donegal, Max, still the main man, but he's brought in some new changes and also out west in Mayo and Galway. Not as many changes as such, but again, they'll be looking to, to just... Gradually improve and, and gradually keep tipping away.
2: Yeah, well, looking at Maxi, listen, the fact that Maxi is back uh, for a fifth year and he's freshened it up with Johnny McGinley, who's worked with the team in the past, Kieran Smith, the new addition. But the fact that Maxi is back and there aren't any retirements in Donegal, that just signifies that they're going for an All Ireland. Nothing else. You know, yeah. that's what I'd feel. Uh, out West, jealous yeah, and Mayo have made two semi finals. They'd definitely be looking to go that step further. And Galway, listen, the team for me, who I love watching. I just think the talent's there but just the last couple of years they've just really underperformed and they've been really disappointing um, but they have the potential to just turn it around like I mean Galway have the potential to win not Ireland the players are there it's just a matter of getting it right and I suppose outside of Galway nobody knows what's going wrong aside from, from Galway themselves
0: so. yeah because they've gone so well at club level and just yeah. can't and translate then, you know you wonder team. is
2: that a factor you know often in counties I mean Back in the day when Ballyboden were winning All-Ireland's left, right and centre, Dublin weren't going well. Dunamoyne and Monaghan, again, dominating the club scene, Monaghan aren't going well. So, you know, sometimes success at cl- club level doesn't naturally correlate to county. Um, when you look at those Galway teams, um, not, you know, they're not dominated by Kilcarran players. So perhaps that is something they have to look at down the line get more Kilcarran players in on the starting 15 Mm -hmm. and and give it a go but we'll see listen the potential's there but again with Kilcarran winning those players probably aren't going to come back for a couple of weeks so Galway again are kind of stop you know they're not getting a good start good run of it so we'll see with them but again look potential's there massive, massive potential. You
0: need a good start in the league as well because it's so. a, a different yeah. format as well. Just briefly, is it a good change? No A and B? There's eight teams yeah, in the division definitely. now?
2: definitely. I would feel, you ha- now if you're eight teams, now we don't have semi-finals, but, you know, listen, having the eight teams is a great start because for a couple of years there we were literally talking about the same teams playing the same teams over and over again. Like, I don't mm. think Mayo have played Waterford in three or four years. So we'll see a great mix-up. Um, it'll be really competitive but with no semi-finals teams will want to get off to a good start to. to to make a final but uh, really positive having their teams and really looking forward to it absolutely definitely.
0: cannot wait Nadine De Hardy, you're going to be back next week I assume Marie Crows on Wednesday so you'll be chatting with Marie on Wednesday but uh, very much looking forward to the start of the leagues yeah. this weekend we're not done yet tennis is coming up with Stephen Higgins because there's a small matter of the Australian Open ongoing game on tennis Now, the Australian Open is ongoing and Stephen Higgins from CrossCourtView.com joins me now to give us an update on what's going on. Let us start with the big news this morning. The defending men's champion Rafael Nadal has crashed out in the second round.
5: Yeah, and you just kind of wonder with this year, I thought about that, particularly with the retirement of Roger last year and Serena Williams. Is 2023 going to be the last time that we're going to see... The incredible uh, bull Spaniard, uh, Rafael Nadal. He has lost seven of his last eight matches now, if we take into account his loss. About a set and a half in against Mackenzie MacDonald, who was playing very well at the time. Uh, He went to retrieve a forehand, seemed to jar his hip. And then, incredibly, only he could probably pull it off. He actually still made the match competitive as he was struggling with the hip issue for the rest of it. He lost in three sets, Uh, He was asked, obviously, afterwards, I don't understand why reporters keep saying to him, when are you going to retire? As if, please retire, so we have fewer stars in the sport. But he said an interesting um, revelation of, of, quote, he's destroyed mentally by all these injury problems. Of course, his career has been pockmarked by injuries from you know he's a chronic foot issue and he's had uh, abdominal tears recently but he's had all sorts of issues with his knees early on in his career so i mean the career he's had of 22 majors and all those Roland Garros titles is extraordinary because he's missed a lot of time and you wonder now at 36 uh, with his record at the moment will he come back for the spring will he skip Miami and Indian Wells to focus on the clay tournaments what happens if they don't go great if he's still Mm -hmm. carrying issues and then you're getting into, you know, the back end of the year, which isn't his favourite anyway. And yeah, you'd be thinking about father or mother time.
0: which you oh, to describe it? Okay. Okay. Well, will be interesting.
5: I love that 36 year old
0: man with dicky hip dismisses retirement questions from from professional sport. But <laughs> listen, he is, he's a great at the game and hopefully he recovers. You're not going to recover from all of the injury issues, but the, you still play the on. The
5: flip side of that is Andy Murray. Uh, talk about raging against the dying of the lights. <laughs> Uh, It was four years ago he had his tearful press conference after he played Roberto Bautista Agu that he Mm. was going to retire in the first place. And here you have him at nearly five hours of play against one of the best players in the world, unquestionably, Matteo Bertini, who was playing well and he still gets through it. He is just an astonishing example of an athlete and dedication and... Again, he's in the same boat as Rafael Nadal, the same generation, 36 as well. I wonder, will this be the last season we'll see of him? He had admitted beforehand that if he gets any sort of serious injury, he's healthy now, if he gets any sort of serious injury, he'll probably retire. Uh, Just
0: focusing on that men's side of of the draw, I suppose, of the competition at the moment as well, and with Nadal's exit now, this brings with it opportunities for for other, other opponents, other competitors. You're,
5: you know, beyond Novak Djokovic. Is that what you're yeah, I'm tra- trying to i I'm trying to, to get suggest? at. The,
0: I'm trying to basically build up the tension here, Stephen, and say this is going to be a really competitive tournament and not going to be just completely one sided. Now, that it, it's an done.
5: interesting when I was going through the draw and the projections at the moment there is to be honest and I'm a tennis nerd and all but there is a shortage of star power in the men's draw now when you actually put all those absences together of obviously Federer is gone Vavrinka went out Team went out in the first round he's still kind of coming back to it Zverev is still there but he's a good bit off because he's only he had a terrible ankle injury at Roland Garros last Mm. year and he's not up to speed but when you've Nadal as well beyond Djokovic who's obviously the king of Melbourne has won it nine times is expected to win the tenth time and Daniel Medvedev last year's finalist and and former world number one, there is lots of opportunity. Like I'm looking at people like Taylor Fritz, who was brilliant last year. He has a good section. Yannick Sinner, Felix Auger-Aliassime, they're in the quarter with uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas. I can easily see one of those two taking his place there. Now he loves playing in Australia. He's been three times semi-finalist. But there's plenty, even in the other section, the fourth quarter, with Casper Ruud. You know, Andy Murray's in there. Tommy Paul, who's a really good American. There is opportunity there because a lot of those big beasts historically, or certainly over the last five, mm-hmm. 10 years, aren't there at the moment. So Djokovic is the absolute favorite by miles but there may be opportunities there there will be Well, we're, yeah. we're
0: picking it up it's going to be competitive um, listen talk to me about the carnage that has arrived on the women's side of the tournament
5: yeah you often have these kind of days in the women's draw in grand slams where it seems like kind of uh, the 10 top predictions for winning that tournament that i've found I knew in my might previous so i stopped doing that i have just <laughs> um they all go out one day so actually there was a quiet start the first two days there was very few seeds actually went out and then yesterday there was a slew of seeds so the big what I would kind of consider overhyped clash of the day was Coco Goff against Emma Raducanu they had never played before they're considered I suppose at the forefront of the new generation of women's players it wasn't a great match uh, Raducanu does look better than she has certainly last year when she was really struggling with her form and injuries and all the different uh, shenanigans going on there uh, Coco Guff, as as brilliant as she is and of course she's still so young I still think there are issues in her game that, you know, she got very tight at the end and her forehand is still a bit suspect. And when you talk about people like, who are trying to take on Iga Swiatek, who is the best player by quite a, a distance, um, you're wondering if she really, is she durable enough? Is her mm. game really up to that standard? But yeah, I mean, we had Petra Kvitova went out, Bianca Andreescu, Sloane Stephens. I was really surprised at a couple. Daria Kazakina, who had been one of the best players of last year, went out 6-1, 6-1. Uh, you know, that's a very quick ticket that you're booking for your departure. Um, she would have been expected, and, she, and unfortunately for her, she had a really good section to advance. Then there's uh, the Chinese kind of star that's rising, Chen Wen Zhang. Uh, she went out as well in two sets, and I was a bit surprised that she had a good draw. And um, beyond shantek you know, there's a few players coming up who uh, might be difficult for her. She kind of. She struggled, her first match she struggled a little bit and then the second match she was much better uh, last night. Uh, The one that I think is probably most likely is Jessie Pagula, the American. She's in the second quarter. Uh, She didn't have a great NCAA finals, but she beat Schwantek at the United Cup after having a series of defeats against her. She's unbelievably solid. I watched her matches uh, so far in Melbourne. And... I kind of think it might be her time if Shantek doesn't make it she's 28 as we probably talked about before she's the child of the Buffalo Bills owner the billionaires so tennis funding was not really an issue for her growing (laughs) up but she's a super player she's up to number three in the world brilliant attitude and she's playing extremely well and I think beyond Shantek, should be the one to be kind of thinking that she might take it her first major.
0: Okay, great stuff. Uh, Just very, very briefly, Stephen, because we are running out of time. The remarkable story of Ben Shelton. Tell me all about it.
5: Yeah, this is unfortunately something that could not be replicated in Ireland. (laughs) There is a 20-year-old Ben Shelton who has just entered top 100. He's still in the Australian Open, set to play his next match. What's interesting about him is he has accrued all his ranking points from just America. He has never even been outside the country until this trip. And while he did get a wild card, he's the best college player in America, he got a wild card through to the Australian Open last year. But to prove his mettle, I suppose, he won three challenger events, the tour just beneath the main tour, in a row at the end of last season to propel himself into top 100. And so he is now on his first trip outside of the United States, and he even got to practice with Rafael Nadal before Nadal's opener. So that's incredible. You certainly couldn't do that in Ireland, anyway. Absolutely
0: um, could not. That's great. That's, that's that's a very nice story to end it on. Um, and we'll be interested to see how the tournament goes. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure as always. Big thanks to John Farrell, our producer of this evening's show. Better the Silvers up next on Two FM. Marie will be back at six o'clock tomorrow here on Game On. But from all of the Game On team for now. Well, it is. Bye bye. RTE 2FM